past few weeks, we've spent time with King Hezekiah. We've gone from his early start. We've gone into opposition. Last week, we went into talking about what happens when you're down and out and you don't feel like you can go on and you're given the next step. And today, we're going to talk about how to leave a legacy. You know, I, I often get questions about why we do certain things as a church especially as being the leader of why we do certain things and and what's the thought behind it. And I wanted to give you just a little moment, if you'll allow me to, before we get to the text, to talk to you about some changes we've made to our worship services. Uh, Number one, you've probably noticed that our greeting time is gone. It's been the number one question I've received is, why why don't we do the greeting time anymore? And and I appreciate the people that have come to me and asked me, because I have really absolutely no shame in the answer. I believe that our greeting time became about us and not about the Lord. And what we do in this hour matters. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you like to greet people, I want to give you a new task. When you walk in on Sunday mornings, make sure you make it to the worship service about five minutes before it starts and greet people. And then after church, you have an unbelievable opportunity to look around and find people you've never seen before. Uh, It happened like this. Uh, we had a, a, a mystery shopper come to the church, um, and they came to our worship services, and no one said hi to them. That kind of started the thought process to me of, wait, maybe we're missing something. And then a few weeks after that, we were, we're in our worship time. We had just got to the greeting time. We began to start the greeting, and our worship team had gone two songs deep in worship, and we were still greeting one another. And it it dawned on me, when we enter this room, there is one audience. And believe it or not, it's not the person across the aisle from you. We, We came to worship the king. And so when we miss moments of worship for the sake of finding out how so and so's boil is doing, I think we've missed worship. Find him after church, find him before church, but find Jesus, find the Holy Spirit in this moment. I I want for when you walk in this room to the moment you leave that you feel like you've had a spiritual burnout, that the tires have been screeching and moving and God is about to send you on a journey. That's why we changed it. The other is why did we start doing the children's sermon? And it's because of this. Our children are not the, the church of the future. They're the church of right now. They're a part of us. Which means this, the students that walk in this room and the children that walk in this room matter just as much as you do. So we believe that when they come in this room, this place is theirs. You may say, well, they don't give, Brother Kyle. Well, let me just tell you something. If giving is what makes you powerful, this is not the church for you. Giving is what makes us servants. It shows allegiance to Jesus. It doesn't build you a statue. That's why it matters what we do in this room. It matters when you walk into this space. It matters that you sing, like we talked about last week. It matters that you give. It matters that you listen. It matters that you participate. It matters that you show up. It matters. You know why? Because you have influence. And because you have influence, it makes you a what? It makes you, okay. Leader. Because you have influence, it makes you a what? A leader. Because you have influence, you're a leader. And so you have influence. 
So when you show up, you have a leadership position. And so today you need to embrace that in this moment as we begin to talk about keeping legacy. There's an old African proverb that says this, if you don't initiate the young men into the tribe, eventually they'll burn down the village just to feel its warmth. Which means this, if you're tired of seeing culture changing in the wrong direction, invest here. Invest in those kids that show up. Invest in the students in this room. Because eventually, if we don't invest in them today and include them in our tribe, they'll burn it down to watch its warmth. So why is culture shifting? Why is the legacy that was left from great men and women of faith now being burned down in this culture? It's because they were never invited to be a part of it. Listen, I believe that God is doing something at Quail Creek like never before. I believe that God is starting to shift his spirit into motion in the life of our church, and we're all getting to be a part of it. God is doing something. And because of that, you need to be here. You need to show up. You need to be a part. Because God is about to start a train moving. And my prayer is this, that when it moves, you won't be standing at the depot going, see y'all. God's on the move. You know, in 2000, when New Spring was started, it started with a handful of people. And I don't know if you know this, but our church was started by a life group from First Baptist Church, San Jacinto Baptist Church. That's where we started. And as we were going down the road there, as we saw God do these amazing things, God was starting to start the train to moving. And then God started to move upon our people that we needed a new home. And God provided land that we couldn't buy. And so our deacons began to prayer walk this property. And God did it. Then he gave us a building we couldn't afford, and it's paid for. And then we started to ask God to do the unbelievable, and he has. And now we're saying this. God, move us again. Not to a new property, but God, move us so that starting today, we would look 10 years from now and we'd say, can you believe what God has done? And my prayer is this, that you would be someone that could sit across the table and we could have that conversation. How do you get there? You start to leave a legacy. The, the reality is this, as the pastor, I look at this building probably more than most of you. So I see the things that need to be done, like the tile being fixed this past weekend. But that's not the end of the flooring problems we have. You've seen it, right? Maybe the parking lot. Maybe you've seen the parking lot. Need some help, right? A little bit of love and some tenderness. Anyways, it, it needs some love. And we need to do something about it. But I also believe this. Our children meet on two floors of our church. That shouldn't happen. We should have a space that they can go into that's secure that's big, that has a worship area just for them. We need a gym. We need a place that our students and our children can go to when it rains. Amen, brother? We need somewhere to park vehicles because right now our vehicles are nothing more than a target. And they, they decline because they're out in the weather. But we can't do that right now because, frankly, we, we just, we're not sitting on piles of cash, are we? But listen, I believe that God can. Listen, I believe that there's going to come a day where the way we see things is going to be changed. And I believe that God can do it. 
I believe that God wants to do it. I believe that God wants our church to thrive in the midst of a world that's falling apart. I believe that God's setting Quell Creek up to be a church that lasts. And while it may seem like we're a church that's being refined by coal, y'all know what happens under pressure? It becomes what? A diamond. And I believe that's what God's starting here right now. He's starting with you in this room. He's starting with the people that are at home watching on the internet or they're going to watch the service next week on TV. God is doing something and he wants you to be a part of it. And now is the time that you need to say, as for me and my house, we're getting on board. Because we want to leave a legacy that's bigger than what we started with. We want to see things change that have never been changed before. We believe that God is doing something. And I believe that as your pastor, that God wants you to be a part of it. And so now is the time to start saying of ourselves, it's now the legacy business that we're working on. We're going to invest. We're going to give. We're going to go. We're going to seek. We're going to find. We're going to go knock on doors. We're going to do it because God is big. And he wants to move our church from being just another church into being a church that's alive for his purpose. He can use you for that. He wants to. He desires to. God is not a God of mediocre churches. God is a God that is alive and well, and his churches will thrive. I believe that with all my heart. In the midst of the worst days of the enemy's attack, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's coming alive like never before. He's going to use our church. In 2 Kings, verse 20, oh, pardon, 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah has just been saved from his illness. We talked about that last week. He busts into a perfect rap and shares his thoughts on God. And then we move on to the very next step in, in, in verse 12. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12. Hezekiah begins to not see the legacy that's left behind. Hezekiah was a great king. Hezekiah was maybe one of the best. How do we know that? It says so in Scripture that he was one of the best. I, I want to read you. Find yourself in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12. I want to go back and read this to you. 2 Kings 18, verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to Yahweh and did not turn following him, but kept the commands of the Lord and commanded Moses. There was not a king before or after Hezekiah that was like him. And in this moment, Hezekiah is going to make that tactical error that we all make. It says that a king comes to visit from Babylon and sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah since he had heard he had become sick. And Hezekiah gave them a hearing and showed them the whole treasure house, verse 13 says, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the precious oil, and his armory and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in the palace and in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. But see, then the prophet enters, doesn't he? Prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and asked him, where did these men come from? What did they say to you? I often think that when a prophet shows up and he asks you questions, you're in trouble, right? Hezekiah replies, they came from a distant country, from Babylon. Isaiah asked, what have they seen in your palace? Hezekiah answered, they, they've seen everything in my palace. There isn't anything in my treasuries that I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will certainly come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left. 
Some of your descendants who come from you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security during my lifetime? Number one, pride shows God's glory, claiming it as its own. Pride shows God's glory, claiming it as our own. It means this, everything that Hezekiah saw that was in the palace or in his kingdom, he thought was his. And it was never his. It's always been whose? God's. God gave Hezekiah the kingship of the country. And in this moment, he reveals everything to a foreign leader who has in the past been an enemy. And he's like, hey, listen, if he takes it all, so what? Maybe there's peace. He didn't even listen, did he? He said, people in your own household will be taken away and and treated as nothing. I think this is the truth of when it comes to legacy is we believe a lie too often. We believe that a legacy that we need to leave behind is financial security for our children. As though that's the answer to our love. We believe that legacy is this, that if we do enough philanthropy work, people are going to really appreciate us at least someday. You know, the legacy that God's calling upon is a legacy that's invested in in kingdom kind of things. It's the legacy that goes beyond just the temporary life we have and into a kingdom that's not taken away by a thief or moss or rust. I believe this with all of my heart that the legacy that you need to be leaving behind is something significant. Do I believe that you should store up for your family? Yes, please. Do I believe that you should do philanthropy work? You better be, or you're a jerk. But I'm telling you, if you're counting on the things of this world to be your legacy, legacy is written in newspapers by people that don't know you. Ask any president in history what their legacy is, and they'll tell you, just read the New York Times. I'm sure they're going to tell you something. What legacy are you building that can sustain longer than your life can? Yeah, I started to think about what legacy really meant, and John Glenn said it one time. He said, you know, Mr. Glenn, what legacy are you going to leave behind? He goes, listen, we can worry about legacy all we want, but if we don't deal with the legacy, it won't matter. How you live matters. You're a leader, and so how you live today makes a difference. I mean, that's why we're talking this series out. You have a shot at this thing called life, and you're given one of it. You're given one moment underneath the sun that God created to live out your life in an awesome way. I heard someone say the other day, I just keep getting older, but I keep getting younger as well. Because we get that, right? That age, you can't, you know, it's going to come on you whether you want to or not. But how you act doesn't have to be. You can still have fun. You can still have joy. The problem is this. We have adulted so much that we've forgotten that there's some joy left to be had. And so when we walk in the room, it looks like we fell in with the California raisins and kept their complexion. God has a better plan. Hezekiah, it says in... Verse 20, it says, the rest of the events of Hezekiah's reign. 
along with all of his might and how he made the pool and the tunnel that brought water into the city were given in the historical record of Judah's kings. And then verse 21 is the equalizer. Hezekiah rested with his fathers and his son Manasseh became king in his place. You see, this is the problem. Legacy is lived out, I think, by the African proverb. The young men that we don't welcome into our tribe will burn it down to fill its warmth because Manasseh becomes king. Chapter 21, it says, Manasseh was how old? How about that for a minute? 12-year-old king. Man, I'm sure glad it's not today. Aren't y'all? Like, we would all be eating gummy bears and watching YouTube videos. Like, amen. Some, amen. No. Um, it says, when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Hephazad. Now listen. Verse 2. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Imitating the detestable practice of the nations of the Lord had disposed before the Israelites. And he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. And he reestablished the altars of Baal. In all of Hezekiah's great kingliship, Manasseh was not included. Twelve years of the end of Hezekiah's reign, he has to invest in a son that would be on the throne. And he doesn't. You see, Manasseh doesn't look at Hezekiah and say, I'm going to follow in my dad's footsteps because there goes a man of great character. Instead, immediately when he takes the throne, he does just the opposite. Some of y'all feel that. Some of y'all have experienced that. You know, the rider of the cat in the cradle experienced that. I mean, we need to invest we, we have to invest because there's a, a real warning out there. And here it is. We must warn against a false security and peace. We have to warn against it because that, that line in there, that thin line of leadership that you have in the lives of people around you, you have this one shot to invest in the right ways. You know, there are some things that Nolan probably won't learn from me. I mean, it's just reality. One of those was he didn't learn how to fish from me. I'm not a fisherman. I, I don't like them. I love the taste of them, but I don't like to fish. Some of y'all go, how can you not like to fish? Because it's boring. I believe that if we invented a sport where you could shoot at fish, that'd be a whole lot more fun. But when you're on a boat in the middle of water and it's hot, and the guy you're sitting across from wants to talk deep thoughts, and you're trying to fish, and nothing is biting, I've really thought about swimming to shore. Some of y'all been there. Then they say, would you like some food? And you say, sure, and they pull out a bologna sandwich. That's not food. I'd rather eat the bait. Some of y'all have been there. So my dad taught Nolan how to fish, because I don't fish. Um... Nolan probably won't learn how to work on a car motor from his dad because his dad has no business working on a car motor. Might have to take him to a friend's house to show him. But let me just tell you what Nolan will learn from me. He'll learn how to be married to one woman for a lifetime. He'll learn how to swing a golf club, root for the cowboys, 
He'll, he'll learn how to clean up after himself. He'll learn how to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. He'll learn how to be quiet when it's time to be quiet and when to speak when it's time to speak. You know why? Because those are the things his dad wants to invest in him. But can I just tell you something that God's awesome at? My son doesn't crave to learn how to work on a car motor from me. But you know what I do find interesting? Yesterday during the work day, um, we're up here working, and I get a text from my son from the house. Can I come up there? And I'm going, oh, man, he just wants to come up here to bum off the Wi-Fi and, you know, hang around and see if his buddies are here. And he came up and he worked. He just flat out worked. Uh, he left tired. And I left proud. Because, see, what we invest makes a difference. You see, I show up at a work day because when I was a kid, Nolan's age, my dad would call work days at our church, and it'd be me and him, and we would work. So it meant something. So my hope is this. One day, Nolan may be the next great minister. I don't know. I think he probably will be because he's smarter than I am about the Bible by a long shot. But I will say this. When their church work day happens, I want Nolan to show up. Because I've invested that in him. It's worthy. It's just worthy. It's insignificant and small, but it's worthy. So Hezekiah is gone and Manasseh has arrived. And there's simply nothing there of investment from Hezekiah. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here in a minute, but I, I want to ask you a personal question before. Are you investing in anyone? Spiritually. Do you have someone in your life that you're spending time with that they can come to know Christ deeper because they're involved in your life? Some of you may say, Brother Kyle, you don't want anybody around me. <laughs> can I just tell you I do? You know why? Because it challenges you. It'll make you grow up. It'll make you stronger. It'll make you deeper. So let me ask you two key questions. Number one, how are you going to be remembered by those we influence? Because you have influence. You're a leader. How will you be remembered? We know this, that there is no timeline that you're given when you're born of when you'll die. In fact, Scripture tells us we're not given the next moment. The man's life is but a breath. Here one second, gone the next. Remember, we talked last week, we're in the dash but we don't know what that end's going to be. But in the moments you have, are you seizing those moments to influence those around you in a powerful way? Because you're a leader. Whether you want to be or not, you have a stage because you have influence. How are you going to be remembered? And let me take that down one notch for you. If the closest set of eyes had to tell the world about you, what would they say? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a coworker, whatever it is, those closest set of eyes, what would they say about you? If they were writing your biography of your life, would you be willing to read it? <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, not yours, mine. I, I wouldn't read mine. Yours is awesome. You'll all be acted out by Denzel or somebody like that. Um, the next is this. Who are we raising up to carry a torch behind us? You know, 
there's this tribe in Africa that when missionaries got in, they began to talk to them about faith, about the meaning of devotion, and they wanted them to see what it looked like to be devoted, you know, to really give their hearts and lives to Christ. And so they began to every day walk into the brush, and each man would walk through the same tunnel, but then he would veer off, and, and this one would be this guy's way, and this one, this one, and this, and they would just kind of branch off like a tree. And that's where the man would spend time with God. You know, if he stopped, the grass began to grow. And they could hold each other accountable. Let me just ask you a question. To leave a legacy, you have to be investing in something deep. What's your path look like today? Is your path worn down and dirt filled because you're constantly spending time with God? Or has it become overgrown? Leaders will never be leaders if they choose to take their own paths and include no one with them. Because leaders can't be leaders without what? A follower. You know, Jesus in his ministry, he goes and he finds these people tossed away by the world. He could have found the brightest. He could have found the guys that had the most schooling. He could have gone into the temple and pulled a dozen temple guys out, the most religious, the most polished, the most well-kept. But he goes after people like tax collectors and fishermen, the people the world simply just don't really care much about. And there's this moment where he goes and he tells one of the men simply this, come and see. Come and see what it's like. Come follow me. Come see. I want to invite you into a new step in your leadership. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be polished. But it's worthy to be available. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this week. I'm going to ask that you spend time with the, the Savior over the next few hours today. And find one passage of Scripture that matters to you. That speaks to your heart that moves you. Then I'm going to ask you to go to someone under your influence and give it away. You see, in 2000, my wife was graduated and working at an oil field company. She had left her home, moved into an apartment. She was all on her own. A little discouraged, a little, frankly, independent, but alone. One of the ladies at her office came up to her one day and said, April, I I really don't know much about you, but I felt like this morning you needed this. And she slipped her a piece of paper and walked to her office. My wife turned it over, and on the other side was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It was significant to April. She taped it to her computer. She made a copy at the house, and ultimately that led her to being open to go to a new church, a church that would speak to her. See, what April didn't know at that time was this. I was raised in a Christian household by a great mom and dad. Many of you have met them. They're good people. When I was growing up, my mom prayed over my future wife every day, every day. She believed in leaving legacy for me. 
And in my mom's Bible, in her front cover of her Bible, is a verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I took a new job at a new church. Became the worship pastor for the college age and single adult ministry. And I showed up and there was this cute girl at the door who welcomed everybody every week. Her name happened to be April. And when she and I began to date, she said, I got to tell you a verse that means something to me. Jeremiah 29, 11. So let me ask you something. Do you think a verse can make a difference? I do. Because still today, in my mother's Bible and in my wife's Bible, is a verse that God linked for me long before anyone on this planet knew me. God crafted me and he made me. And he made me a wife that would fall in love with a verse because a woman who is being obedient would carry a verse that meant something to her to my wife. Leave a legacy. Go out on fire. Get on the train. As much as I believe that God has taken Quell Creek somewhere, Quell Creek is not a church without you in it. If next Sunday no one shows up here, this is a building. The people make it a church. God's spirit makes it alive. And so you matter. And as much as I believe that God is setting our church on fire and sending it out, he's sending you. Catch fire. Catch fire and invite people in. And let's declare today something new. Because we have influence, we're a leader. And because we're a leader, we're going to go out on fire. Because we believe there's a legacy that's going to be left and a generation after us. And they will know and follow the Lord because we will. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would move in a powerful way. God, I believe that there are so many leaders in this room who are ready to leave legacy but have already been hearing from the enemy saying they can't. (laughs) That they don't have what it takes, that they don't have the voice to say it, that They're going to be afraid in that moment. And I just reject that by the name and power of Jesus Christ. I just declare that you have made them and you formed them. You knew them before they were even formed in their mother's womb. You crafted them. You made them on purpose. And God, they have a purpose today. So Father, let us passionately follow after you with all we have. Let us be people of legacy. Lord, let us live out our faith in an amazing and powerful way. God, we declare today that we want to leave here ready to go. God, so send us. Make us alive for your purpose. God, use us mightily. Lord, let us leave behind us a legacy that declares to the next generation, follow us. And God, may we get to see your hand move in a powerful way in these next few minutes alone. As people cry out to you, Father, as they declare a need for you as Savior and Lord. God, as they commit their lives to ministry. Lord, I believe there's someone out there today that's been battling that. And today they're just going to say, no more battle. I'm following through. God, we just declare that we need you. Lord, we believe that you're going to light this church on fire for your glory. So, Father, start in us. Move us, God, today. Lord, we believe your spirit is alive and well. We've prayed and we've asked and we've sung for that. And, God, we believe it's here. So Holy Spirit, move in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen.